Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a very special episode today with none other than Fariste Faro. So to give you a little background on Fariste, Fariste was born as a refugee in Iran, and now she's a social entrepreneur who is teaching girls in Afghanistan computer science and coding through her organization Code to Inspire. So Code to Inspire was started less than two years ago, and as of now, she's teaching 80 girls how to code. Her organization has received multiple awards, including Google Rise Award, and they were even featured in Google's homepage. We cover a lot of topics on this podcast, including her journey from Iran to Afghanistan after the fall of Taliban to how she came to the United States to how she started this organization in less than a year. We also talk about how she deals with criticism from her former male students for starting this organization, so we go deep. Guys, I had an incredible time talking with Fariste, and I truly, truly hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed creating it. So without further ado, Fariste Faro, everyone. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. Um, For people who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Fereshte Furu. I am from Afghanistan. I was born in Iran as a refugee. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents uh, moved to Iran during the Soviet invasion in the early 80s. So I was born in Iran. I finished my high school degree in Iran. And then one year after the fall of Taliban, we moved to Afghanistan in 2002. I received my bachelor in computer science in Afghanistan. I went to Germany and I got my master's in computer science in Technical University of Berlin. Then I went back to Afghanistan. I taught as a computer science professor for almost three years. Then I came to the United States and I founded Code to Inspire, the first coding school for girls in Afghanistan on January 2015. Wow, that's amazing. So um, how was your life before you moved back to Afghanistan? You know, walk us through, like, how was living as a refugee in Iran? So definitely living life as a refugee in uh, the very early stage of your life is very difficult. So my parents um, left everything and they just uh, start the life with a suitcase in Iran. So uh, it was a very difficult life to start for them. And um, my mom... Um, had to learn how to stitch so she could uh, make clothings and dresses and she could sell them and bring income to the family. So uh, I was raised in a family of eight kids. So it's a lot of kids in the family. I'm the fifth one. So definitely managing the finance of the family in a country that um, it's not your country is very difficult. Um, So growing up as a refugee, uh, definitely you feel like as an unwanted guest because not a lot of uh, people like you Mm -hmm. and um, they just think that like you're here to steal the opportunities from them, which you're just there to contribute as much as you can Mm -hmm. to the community. And definitely in Iran, one of the uh, very 
main challenges that we were facing was accessing education. So as a refugee, you should have a proper paper to show the schools that they could enroll you. Um, And I definitely remember that uh, my brother, one year, the school rejected him. So he couldn't go to school for one year. So he missed the school. And um, so definitely like um, accessing the very basic Uh, human beings' rights uh, was uh, difficult for us to even get that. Um, So that was kind of a life that we were living in Iran during the time that my parents were living them as a refugee. Uh, So how did they select who was allowed to go to school or not? So um, I think the reason that they select how uh, or who should go to school is you have to be a legal uh, refugee. By legal, I mean you have to have a proper paper and document that you show that like you came here legally, you stay here legally. Mm-hmm. Um, so they ask you those papers. And if you don't have those papers, then you can't enroll at the school. Okay, wow. So, um, so all of your siblings, did they have an opportunity to go to school? Except, like you said, your brother had like a year loss. But other than that, did everyone get paper to go to school? Yes, we were really lucky that we could get the proper papers to go to school, even though sometimes we face some uh, hard situations that they call you during school and they ask you to bring more evidence. So, wow. But still, we could manage that and we could uh, go to school. So in the United States, um, if you're born in America, you are considered an American. And since you were born in Iran and you grew up there, do you consider, did you consider yourself um, more Iranian or Afghani? Well, myself, I always uh, felt that I'm Afghan. I feel I'm Afghan by heart and, and I never considered myself Iranian. And as a legal standpoint, even though you were born there, the Iranian government, they don't recognize you as Iranian. So they don't give you um, any Iranian citizenship or ID card. So you're just a refugee status and you're Afghan. So um, in Iran, I was an Afghan. I just had the papers to show them that uh, my parents are Afghan Mm -hmm. and uh, they moved here and I'm not Iranian. Oh, wow. That must be hard, was it? easier to make friends as a refugee or were you looked down upon by your peers because you were not you know uh iranian well that's an interesting question because while i was going to school um first of all um Sometimes we face that like some people use Afghan, Mm -hmm. our nationality, as insult to each other, the Iranians. So I was always afraid to tell people I'm Afghan because I don't want them to insult me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was always hiding my nationality because I was born there so I could speak Iranian. Mm -hmm. I kind of like looked like so they couldn't. Uh, kind of recognize that I'm Afghan unless I tell them. Mm -hmm. So I didn't tell them that I'm Afghan. So it's very difficult as a kid if you go to school and you have to hide something. Mm -hmm. And and that's difficult because you always have this feeling in yourself that you're different with others and um, you don't know like how you can make friends with others. So it was definitely difficult as a kid growing up being a refugee and 
you're not able to tell the people the reality of you are an Afghan and a refugee because you just want to be accepted by mm-hmm. uh, your peers and mm-hmm. just be part of them. Wow. So what made your family decide to come back to Afghanistan? Was the situation better in 2001 or uh, what was the reasons that they decided to come back? So one year after the fall of Taliban in 2001, um, we moved to Afghanistan. The reason is that, well, my father was really always involved in uh, human rights issues and uh, politics. So once the Taliban left, my father went to Afghanistan for the first time after um, they moved to Iran. Mm -hmm. Um, So he stayed there for a couple of months. He came back and... He had this feeling and he was so excited and he said, I think now it's the time for us to go back to our country. The situation Mm -hmm. is better and um, I'm from Herat. So Mm -hmm. Herat is a city in west of Afghanistan near to Iran border. So my father was like, the security is good. Um, So I think it's the time now for us to go to our country and just give back to our country. Mm -hmm. So that was like the reason that um, my father and then we all decided to move back to Afghanistan. Oh, wow. How was the process of moving back? So it wasn't very bittersweet because I made a lot of friends also in Iran. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a lot of close friends, uh, been with them for a couple of years. I loved them. I, uh, it was difficult for me to kind of like leave a place yeah. that I grew up. I made friends uh, and I kind of like had future dreams, even though in that place I didn't feel that I belonged to. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like difficult for me to leave a place to a place that the only image I had was uh, from the news or from looking at our family uh, photo albums and Mm. just like hear stories from people. So I didn't have any specific image of that in my mind. So it was like an unknown place for me. So um, once we moved from Iran, Mashhad is the city that we were living, Mm -hmm. to Herat, that was an interesting experience because... Uh, I remember that we uh, uh, packed all the furniture, everything, we put it in a big truck, and then we took a cab to uh, go uh, to the border. Everything was great from uh, Mashhad to mm-hmm. Herat. Mm-hmm. But then once we arrived to the border, uh, it was a very different picture and image. Uh, first of all, uh, it was very dusty and windy. Oh, and wow. there were no signs of greens. So uh, that was like a first picture and image that mm-hmm. I saw from, uh, I was seeing from uh, Afghanistan and mm-hmm. Herat. And then uh, while we did all the procedures and we took another car to go to Herat, um, on the way it was very unpaved and bumpy. So it was very difficult drive. Mm-hmm. It took maybe six uh, hours more or less for us to get to the city. So I remember when it was getting dark, um, I asked my father that when we're going to arrive to the city. And then my father would look at me and he was like, oh, we're actually right in the middle of the city. Wow. And I couldn't believe because it was pretty a dark city. You barely could see light bulbs. There were only uh, small lantern- lanterns hung um, from outside of the shops. Uh, so that was like the city itself. Um, wow. So in the morning, um, 
when I wake up uh, and I just had the time to like learn more about the new environment that we are living now, we had a well at home that we had to have our water, daily water. So even though we didn't, we didn't have like a healthy uh, water pipeline, for example, for houses. And uh, we only had three hours electricity a day. Yeah, so definitely uh, it was a lot of challenges. Uh, there are a lot of these are all like basic things mm-hmm. that you're supposed to have yeah. in, in, in every place. So that's the Afghanistan or the Herat that we moved. And um, although it made me to get my ma- uh, get my bachelor in computer science there, so that's kind of like. A situation where when we moved to Herat was that we were facing. So that was 2001, right? 2002. Okay. So was Iran different in terms of infrastructure than Afghanistan at that point? Oh, totally, yes. Like we had healthy water uh, and then we had electricity 24-7 and um, the roads are paved. Definitely Iran has like a very good infrastructure. So do you think at that point, would it have been easier for you guys to stay in Iran or um, were you happy that you made that decision to come to Afghanistan? You know what? I felt so happy that actually we went to Afghanistan because Mm -hmm. even though when I had all these images for the first time and all Mm -hmm. that experiences, I felt like I now belong to this place and Mm -hmm. I felt so much love around myself and I didn't have to hide my identity from people and I am not a refugee anymore. So that's my home. So um, that's definitely something that you, unless you face it and you experience it, you know, like, how does that feel when you go back to your roots and you feel like, you know, everyone and you're just like happy about being there. Although there are a lot of um, different things that you don't have them, but uh, you just like feel so happy and love. Yeah, I'm sure it felt awesome just to be back to your family. You said like some of your family members still lived in Afghanistan and finally feel like you belonged. Yes, my grandfather, my a uh, couple of my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, oh, wow. they were all living in Afghanistan and they didn't leave Afghanistan. So, um, so for for some of them, we just meet each other like after more than a decade. How was meeting your grandparents for the first time? So um, it's interesting because we went the first time that we arrived, we actually went to our grandparents' house Mm -hmm. um, and then we went to uh, our house uh, to start the life um, in a new place. But it's, it's just amazing to be like to see all these people that you just have a letter from them or mm-hmm. just picture from them mm-hmm. uh, and now you have them and like it brings a lot of good memories and you just feel so happy but beside that also you feel a lot of support mm-hmm. and now we think that like I'm not alone and there's like a strong uh, like a support behind my back and if I f- feel need anything mm-hmm. there are people that now I can like go and ask them uh, rather than when you're a refugee, you're very, you feel very isolated because of a lot of social concerns around you and not being able to express who you are. Yeah. yeah. So um, according to United Nations, there are more than 65 million refugees in the world. What do you think is one of the biggest struggles that refugees face every single day? Well, I think definitely 
the most important ones are um, just not being able to to access the very first uh, things that you want, for example, housing or education, healthcare, uh, finding a job to be financially independent, all of them um, are because you are not well documented. Mm -hmm. So like, unfortunately, in a lot of places, um, there are a lot of bureaucracy, which takes a long time. And then uh, a lot of people want you to have like a specific paper. But as a refugee, because uh, you go with the huge amount of other people mm -hmm. and it takes a long time, you're not able to actually fully uh, achieve what you want uh, because it's just like the opportunities are very few for them. There are yeah. few offerings for you in the community based on your status. So you're already going through so much. And on top of that, you have to go through all this, you know, legal stuff to even have a status. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about how was it going back to school in Afghanistan and making new friends? Like, were you still in touch with your friends from Iran? Or how was it, you know, kind of being a foreigner in your own country yeah i was still in touch with a couple of my friends from mm -hmm. iran just sending letters to them mm -hmm. um but yeah i was very happy that i could now make like a lot of friends here in my um, country and my uh, city so when i was a student in the computer science faculty um uh, i think i found it actually very challenging to make friends the reason was that uh, part of it because I was born in Iran, so my accent was Iranian. Mm -hmm. um, so Afghans speak Dari, okay. which the accent is a little bit different than the uh, Farsi. That so they, Daddy? Yes, Daddy. Okay. So uh, it's a little bit the accent is different. Okay. Um, so when I was start talking to people uh, on the very first few seconds, they understand that I was born in Iran because mm -hmm. my accent was different. So not a lot of people liked that you were talking in far in Iranian, because um, some of them they were like, "Oh, you're like an Iranian spy," and giving you a hard time. And then uh, some of them they think that you're showing off by having this accent. So that was also like again was difficult to be mm -hmm. accepted. In, in this community mm -hmm. uh, because you just like speak a different accent and uh, I definitely was a very vocal student mm -hmm. and tried to participate in a lot of group works mm -hmm. and presentation and uh, just be active uh, but unfortunately a lot of my female classmates they weren't like that so uh, the guys didn't like it about me because it's a it's a it's like one year and after the Taliban left Afghanistan so like still a lot of people have like these ideas that the girls shouldn't shouldn't be that vocal that social so they didn't like it and they like talk behind your back they say like not nice stuff about you so that was like definitely also very challenging so we say let's talk about Taliban how many girls were in school or workflows when during Taliban's regime so during the Taliban regime there were only 900,000 students going to school, mm -hmm. which out of the 900,000, there were zero girls going to school. So, so no, one was, going no to school. one was going to school. In the Taliban regime, wow. the girls' education and even women working outside home was forbidden. So what's it safer after that for girls to go to school? 
It depends. If you live in a big city, for example, Herat, Kabul, Mazar, or the cities that they are a bit more welcome to women's education and mm-hmm. employment, mm-hmm. that's certainly um, a, a different thing rather than if you live in a village or in a very rural areas, mm-hmm. uh, which is still the girls even can continue with their um, uh, elementary education to go higher education or even university because. There's not much of infrastructure for education in their area. How much has the situation improved um, ever since the Taliban left Afghanistan? Yes. So as I mentioned that during the Taliban regime, there were only 900,000 students going to school with zero girls participation. Um, I myself witnessed during that one decade that I was in Afghanistan how everything has changed, especially in the sector of education and uh, information technology. For example, at the moment, there are 7 million students going to school, but out of that, 37% or 2.5 million of them are girls. So that's definitely a huge accomplishment for uh, getting the girls into education. And um, there's increased number in female teachers. We have now 30% increase in the female teachers in Afghanistan. And up to now, there are 23 million uh, mobile users in Afghanistan. So 23 it's a, million? Yes, Afghanistan population is around 33 million. So that's a huge accomplishment if you look at that. Yeah. And um, definitely in case of um, accessing or seeing women in the workplace, which again, there were 0% of them during the Taliban at this moment, there are 19% of uh, workforce uh, are women, which is again, I mean, it's not a big number to be very proud of, but still it's a huge accomplishment for seeing women are being active. Yeah. And on a very bigger side, um, 27% of the parliament seats belongs to women. 27? Yes, Afghanistan wow. is doing way better than a lot of other countries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these are like some accomplishments that Afghanistan um, uh, have achieved. And still, um, there are a lot of um, progress, especially in case of like women's education, yeah. uh, women's being in the workforce, or even women accessing technology or education in their area. So um, do you still face like threats from your peers or colleagues, um, even if you know there are like millions of girls going to school right now? Well, of course, I mean, when you talk about women's empowerment through education, women being financially independent, that's certainly a very sensitive topic that not a lot of people like it, especially Mm -hmm. talking about a country like Afghanistan, which is a very traditional uh, male-dominated culture. And there's still a lot of uh, risks for women Mm -hmm. being vocal and participate in a lot of activities. So... Mm -hmm. There's certainly like you, there are a lot of areas that they still, uh, um, the, 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 the places or the schools that the girls are going, uh, they sit on fire or they pour acids on the face of the girls. Um, right. but, uh, but especially again, talking about big cities, there are a lot of progress. So there is still challenges for women. And the early marriages for the girls, that mm-hmm. it's one of the main reasons that the girls then can't continue their education. Um, but um, definitely these challenges are still there and uh, it prevents a lot of girls of uh, continuing their education, even in a very primary level of education and not continuing their mm-hmm. um, high school or even going to university. 
So let's talk about computer science. Did you always love computer science or how did you get started? So it's a very interesting question because <laughs> I really, first of all, didn't like computer science. <laughs> so when I was in Iran, uh, my field of study was literature. So I was very involved and very in love with literature, poetry, uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always uh, was seeing myself in future either as a lawyer or uh, just like, like a, a working on like human rights, mm-hmm. social issues. And not definitely a technical issue. And then when we went to Afghanistan, um, two months after we arrived, there was this uh, general uh, university entrance. We call it Konkur. Okay. So what you do is you go and uh, like you participate in the uh, in the exam, and then uh, you pick a couple of uh, field of studies you're interested, and then you'll see. So um, that day, uh, I selected law. <laughs> economy, journalism, and um, just different field of studies, not computer science at all. And then uh, a couple of months after when they announced, uh, my sister came and told me, oh, you know, uh, which <laughs> university you got accepted? And I was like, yeah, maybe a couple of those uh, uh, options. And she was like, no, computer science. And I was <laughs> like, what? computer science why they did that to me i didn't select that uh-huh. a field of study and i have zero knowledge of <laughs> like i barely can like solve some mathematic questions because like the first thing came to my mind was mathematics and yeah. we didn't have that much like in mathematics so i was so upset uh that i was like no i'm not gonna go to that uh university i i don't like it uh-huh. i will change my field of study and i remembered my parents they encouraged me and they said, look, I mean, it, it seems like a good field of study. You have a proper good like English skills. So um, the world is changing. It's all about like computer. So just go and uh, give it a try. If you didn't <laughs> like, then okay, you change your field of study. So the very first day uh-huh. that I arrived, uh, so I was walking and I'm hearing someone is talking mathematics. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, that's the wrong place for me to be in. And then I went to the class and I saw that the teacher uh, was writing a couple of questions and he was asking students to solve it. So I look at the board and I barely can answer one of them. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't think that like I'm able to continue because uh-huh. like, I don't know if I'm able to do that. And then the next class, we had a basic uh, introduction to basic uh, programming. Uh-huh. And um, I love that because, like, I found it like uh, you solve a puzzle. And, like, it was very entertaining for me and exciting. And I had... Uh, so the teachers were teaching us in English. So I had a good English so I could follow the class. Uh-huh. Um, and then... During that first week, uh, I, I really liked because, like, I felt like, oh, it's something creative. It's all about like problem solving, so mm-hmm. that's exciting. Uh, although I wasn't really doing well in mathematics, but <laughs> I was like, well, maybe I should compromise a bit myself, and um, I should just start like focusing more in mathematics and get my skills better, and then mm-hmm. definitely those parts. So, um, yeah, so I remember that I learned mathematics under the uh, light of candles some nights because we oh, didn't wow. have electricity so I was like wow that's so poetic that you learn mathematics <laughs> with a candle light it's very poetic <laughs> yes
So what was the point when you're like, wow, computer science is for me? I found computer science very empowering tool because、mm-hmm. now if you have the skills, you are a problem、uh, solver、mm-hmm. and you are a creative person. And I always loved creativity and、mm-hmm. being like expressing yourself different than the others. So that's what I found. I found that now I can create something that I own it. And within that creativity, I express myself.、Mm-hmm. So that's actually the point that really made me to start liking computer science. You know what's so funny? I was doing some research, and I found like during 1950s and 60s, a lot of women were getting into computer science. Now, I think there's only five percent women who are in corporate level position in tech companies, and I'm not sure. I think it's like. Only twenty six percent of women are in computer related jobs. Why do you think most women, even in the United States, are not attracted by computer science related jobs? Well, I think it definitely、uh, has a deeper root. If you want to look why the number decreases over the time, but I think one other aspect is like more like a social cultural、mm-hmm. uh, point of view. Whenever you see all the ads and all the <laughs> movies, the、uh, the geek person or the hero is a guy that knows computer science or、mm-hmm. computer knowledge. So the hackers、um, and any anyone in the ads you see that if you are the man,、mm-hmm. we want to hire you. So、um, so that's actually I think one of the main reasons that really like. Give the girls from the very early age、yeah. to think that oh we are not able to pursue or we are not in this category,、mm-hmm. and then they became discouraged and they can't pursue that. So you also said you were a professor of computer science in Afghanistan. How was that experience? Yes, I、um, when I finished my master, I went back to Afghanistan、mm-hmm. and、um, I started teaching.、Uh, Mainly, my major was information management system and database management system.、Mm-hmm. So、um, it was interesting because, as a student who studied at the same university and faculty, and、mm-hmm. then go back and teach as a teacher、mm-hmm. and a professor in the computer science faculty, I saw the same situation, the same challenge, the same issue with women and the girls. Um, what I've experienced, I now see that again, and there's a very slow change.、Mm-hmm. I saw that the girls are not very active in a lot of social or group classes.、Mm-hmm. Um, they don't raise hands、uh, and ask questions in the class because they don't want to be、uh, look weird or、uh, just like they didn't want to be criticized、mm-hmm. or ashamed of the question in front of the guys in the class. And、um, you know that like coding is all about practical work.、Mm-hmm. If you don't do practical work, you won't learn, and you won't、uh, build your skills around that.、Um, so unfortunately,、uh, that was issue that I was noticing. That、uh, when I was a student, also a lot of my female classmates they were in the same thing, and um, so um, that really made me upset to think that. Uh, it really needs、uh, a huge、uh, step、mm-hmm. to kind of like bring this change that the girls feel more motivated、mm-hmm. and also increase the number of the girls in in this field, encourage them to join the STEM in computer science. Were you、um, respected as a professor? And you said like computer science field in Afghanistan is mostly men. So how was how did people react to you when you first came as a professor? Well,、um, 
As a professor, I think um, what I really wanted to do is that I wanted to, because there are also a lot of other like um, concerns around you being a woman teaching, mm-hmm. so like the social or cultural issues. So I really tried to create an environment, a very friendly environment, mm-hmm. friendly in a way that not the students take advantage of mm-hmm. the situation, but because I had a lot of students, especially the guys, coming from very different part of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. like far away from their families, not living in a very good financial situation. Um, and and uh, I'm sure a lot of them, their families were struggling with the finance. And, and I really wanted to give them this opportunity in the class that they feel comfortable expressing themselves and mm-hmm. forget about all the other pressure they have. Mm-hmm. So they feel very like uh relaxed and comfortable in the class and be engaged more so that was the thing i really try to um kind of like have this environment with my students that they feel like comfortable raising their hands ask questions mm-hmm. um because teaching technical issues is very uh, at some point it becomes very like boring <laughs> and people don't follow you you yeah. know like it's a lot of codes and uh, it's, it's yeah you become so tired fast if you really don't want to focus on, on on that so I really try to kind of like create this situation that they enjoy the class make more yeah. kind of like group activities yeah not just um technology but also empowering them in a way exactly yeah. yes let them their voice be heard and mm-hmm. they feel that they're part of this class and also like what I loved about you is you said like women have to be you know should not be scared to raise their hands and they should be able to speak what they want to speak is that and you also mentioned i think beginning of this interview that your mom was like an entrepreneur who was making clothes to survive in iran so is that something that you learned from your mom or how did you have that kind of mindset Yes, I think I definitely uh learned that at the very first step from my mom because mm-hmm. she uh learned by herself to be an entrepreneur and start a business from nothing and mm-hmm. bring income to the family. So that that what I learned that you can do the most out of the least. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter where you are mm-hmm. or what you have. It matters that how you can use the available resources and kind of like learn how to use that resources in a way that not only help you but mm-hmm. help others as well. So that's definitely um, from my mom being as a refugee or the challenges uh, these are all the lessons that I learned and um, definitely in Afghanistan uh, also just don't be afraid of being different if you're different it doesn't mean that um, you're wrong or you're not doing something good mm-hmm. it's just like I think a lot of people sometimes afraid to be different because they don't want to be judged by people mm-hmm. Uh, so just don't be afraid of being different um, and, and just like be bold and stand for your uh, idea. And How do you have that kind of courage? Do you cultivate it? Is there a mantra that you have? Like, how can one have that level of confidence? Because even my friends or even me sometimes, it's just so hard to be yourself. I think <laughs> that's an interesting thing because I mean, as a kid also, I was a very... Um, I was like, I think I was a very naughty student. (laughs) (laughs) 
in the high school. I remember I was a lot. <laughs> and um, it, it's interesting. Sometimes I think maybe some part of it is just like with you.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but when you grow up, like you kind of like grow that and you learn more about that.、Mm-hmm. So、uh, it was always for me like, I just don't want people to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want. You're your own person. <laughs>、yeah. So I think、um, definitely yes. And, and yes, it's difficult.、Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be afraid. Because、like, once you become afraid of what people are going to talk about me、mm-hmm. and the things I'm doing, either it's right or wrong, what my friends are going to talk about this, if I, it's going to like. So just like once you start doubting, Then you're done. You can't really like make that happen、mm-hmm. because then you try to focus on the doubts and if、mm-hmm. and if rather than I just go for it and、yeah. I do it because I, I, I liked it and it's what I want to do. So、yeah. I think it also seems like you really know who you are. So yeah, I think def- yeah, definitely like learn about yourself、mm-hmm. and it's, it definitely helps a lot. I wanted to ask this question. I love Rumi, and、um, I learned that you are a huge fan of Rumi. So, why, are, why do you love Rumi? So, and tell us a little <laughs> bit about Rumi for people who don't、yeah. know who Rumi is.、Um, Rumi, yes. I mean, my love for Rumi is because first, I, my major was literature.、Uh-huh. So, I, was, I, I love his,、uh, his poets because he, in his poets, He teaches you a lot of good lessons.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I love that、uh, in a very poetic way that like, you enjoyed a lot, but there was a lot of lessons and good advice. So,、um, yes, I have a lot of love and respect for him. Rumi is a very well known Persian poet.、Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's very famous in Iran, Afghanistan, Turkey, and a lot of countries that、uh, they share the same history for、mm-hmm. him. So,、um, yeah, I'm. Um, there's one saying that I always love about、mm-hmm. it, and、um, I think that's certainly true about, especially in Afghanistan, is that where there is ruin, there is a hope for a treasure. Oh, I like that. Yes,、yeah, so it, it has a very, I think,、uh, it has a very deep message. Yeah.、Uh, and definitely, I found it about my experience in Afghanistan.、Mm-hmm. So,、um, how. Did you、um, come to the United States? How was that process like? Or what made you come to the United States? So, I came here for a one month trip,、mm-hmm. um, just an exchange visiting program, and then I met a lot of wonderful people.、Mm-hmm. Out of those people,、um, I got to know a person that he was very interested to help、mm-hmm. uh, what we do in Afghanistan with my friends, and then Um, That's how it led us to、uh, create computer labs for the girls in high schools、mm-hmm. and enable them to access、uh, internet and the computer.、Uh, so that was、uh, the work that I was doing. And then through that program, I came to the United States and、um, I stayed with the program and I helped、uh, to grow the program and enable more girls.、Mm-hmm. And then after that,、um, I was always had this love and passion for technology and coding for girls.、Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that what can I do that I am here, I can use the available resources and、um, help the girls in Afghanistan. So 
when I left um, that foundation that I was helping during this couple of months, I was just struggling and thinking, what should I do with my life? What can make me more happy about giving back to my community, mm -hmm. being here? Um, then I was like, yes, maybe uh, what I always doing, like coding and computer science and technology. That's a big issue in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. And that's how it uh, led me to think about establishing Kurtun Aspire and founding it on uh, January 2015. Mm -hmm incorporated as a 501c3 registered non-for-profit here and then started working full-time uh, on code to inspire and making the first coding school for the girls in Afghanistan. So impressive. With most people, when they go through like hard times, right, they usually go to a really, really dark place. And you said you were unemployed for a couple of months. How did you brainstorm this idea and what steps did you take to make this a reality? So I remember I was just hanging out in a lot of coffee shops, had my papers <laughs> and pen and writing and uh, scratching and not, this is a good idea, no, it's not. And then just like sitting and researching a lot. And um, then uh, I was kind of like, uh, got this idea of like coding. And then I start thinking about what similar programs are in Afghanistan. If there's not, then I have to come up with my own ideas, uh, see what should I do, mm -hmm. what's the concept. And then definitely you can't start that alone by yourself. You, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's, you need people that can mm -hmm. help you with that. And the most important thing is that they share the same passion and feeling as mm -hmm. you. So they feel committed and they feel good about helping it. So um, I start thinking who I know, who might be interested to help and just like going and talking to people. Although it was very difficult because like when you go and tell people, this is my idea, mm -hmm. they are like, well, we don't know if it's going to happen or not. So, you know, like uh, it's, it's not like something that happened and you go mm -hmm. and talk to them, look at this, like I did this. It's something you want to do that. So mm -hmm. it's, I found it very difficult for a lot of time that when I was talking to people to convince them because they are not sure if it's going to happen or not. Mm -hmm. um, but then I found a couple of people that they were interested. So we made a team together and we became the core team of the Code to Inspire. And then we start registering it, make it legal. Um, as a foundation here and then after that uh, we start to think okay if you want to make this happen we need funds so we have to do a fundraiser so we create this online fundraiser mm -hmm. with the goal of only twenty thousand dollars and then um, we used any social media channels mm -hmm. anything to reach out to people and uh, within one month and a half, that was the timeline for our campaign, we actually raised $22,000. Wow. Yes, and that was the initial seed fund and the money that we opened the coding school in Afghanistan. Wow. So how long was it from your idea to actually creating an organization? How, how many months did it take? It uh, Probably around uh, five to six months. That's impressive from where I left my foundation, the other foundation, to uh -huh. I registered the new one. Wow. So I feel like for people who are listening right now, they have huge ideas, right? And and they kind of get overwhelmed with 
the amount of things that they have to do, how do you process it and how do you break it down to actually making it a reality? You know, I'm a very, I always dream very, very, very big and always want to quickly achieve that, which is not possible and not realistic. So um, I don't have that much patience sometimes. So (laughs) (laughs) that's the things I learned. You have to have patience. Mm -hmm. Nothing will happen overnight. And then the second thing is that um, that's okay to have a very big dream, Mm -hmm. but just try to narrow it down to very small, small little milestone. Even as, as very little that my goal is to just like reach out to five people this week mm-hmm. and just talk about what I want to do. It can be as simple and little as that mm-hmm. to more bigger one, which we thought that, okay, we need to raise fund. So that's the goal. And yeah. we have to focus only on that part. So that little milestones, mm-hmm. small milestones will reach to this bigger dream that mm-hmm. you have, but it's not going to happen overnight. So for us, when we registered as an incorporation on January 2015, mm-hmm. uh, it took nine months to get the 501c3 status, which mm-hmm. is a tax-exempt status for non-for-profit. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time. And um, besides that, there were like a lot of other like legal issues that you have to cover and also talking to people and thinking about other like ways to raise funds. So um, you just have to be patient, but also like... Don't overwhelm yourself by going so big or mm-hmm. at, at the very first. Just yeah. like narrow it down, small, small. Every small steps leads you to go to the bigger steps. So you had like a huge goal, but at the same time, you had your weekly goal and monthly goal and you just accomplished one goal. Exactly. Time. You okay. have to set up your plans around that goal and just work towards that goal. So, I f- you know, everyone says that for you to build a great team, you need a great company, you need a great team. How did you go about building your team? So the first thing I did, I went through my network mm-hmm. and I uh, saw first who has experience in the non-for-profit or has an interest in education, uh, technology, has done some work in social good work because like it's also like important to have the people who had experience. Mm-hmm. And then... I thought, okay, what skills and expertise I need. So, for example, I need a person who who can help me with my PR and marketing. Mm -hmm. I need a person who can help me with fundraising. Mm -hmm. I need a person who can help me with more, like, strategic development. So, like, you have to see what areas uh, you're lacking Mm -hmm. and you're looking for that expertise. And then you go and you just, like, learn... I found a couple of my advisory boards through my board. So Mm -hmm. they knew someone and they introduced me. I found some people in conferences that I attended. Um, So, yeah, I mean, definitely once you narrow down what areas, expertise and skills you need, Mm -hmm. and then you can then go after the people that you just uh, want them. So you meet them or have a call. It's also like very like human to human, like a personal thing. Mm -hmm. I think for me... Rather than the skills, the most important thing is like they feel passionate and connected mm-hmm. and they really want to make this happen. Because like non-for-profit is all about like pro bono working and helping and mm-hmm. volunteering. So it's very important that you find people who feel passionate about this. Yeah, I'm sure. Wow. Um, so 
Code to Inspire, I don't think it's even two years old, right? It, yeah, it's not. It will become two years old in this November. So in such a short period of time, you guys won Google Rise Award. I think you were featured in Google's homepage once and you know, you're featured in all PBS and all this news outlet. How, like, how did you do that? That's so impressive. Thank you. Um, well, again, I think it's definitely like a teamwork as well. So mm -hmm. first that we were very few people. Mm -hmm. um, I, beside the two other, I was technically doing everything, mm -hmm. social media, um, I had, I didn't have that much experiences using different platforms, but then I started learning mm -hmm. what strategy should I use for like certain ones like Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or how to write a newsletter that like uh, like people by opening it, they really like want to read about that and mm -hmm. go through that and not just like not open it and just like ignore it. And um, so then, I mean, I started again, I mean, um, started within my network. Then I went and see who I know that they can help me like spread the word if they know any publication or if they write for any publication. Um, you just like start small. Even you, you, you shouldn't think, oh, like the very first day I should just reach out for like big names. Mm -hmm. And the, for me, the goal was only just to spread the word and tell people about what we do um, to build the momentum around that. And um, so that was what I was doing. And then um hopefully i got uh, some speaking engagements through that speaking engagement uh, people learn more about what we do and then we got uh published in a lot of uh, big publications and that helped us to get more recognitions and mm -hmm. then um then we got a um, couple of amazing volunteers that helping they reach out to us and they uh, said we want to help you with your PR and kind of like help you how to organize your social media newsletters and just reach out to publications and those volunteers helped us a lot that through them and mm -hmm. their support we could like get a lot of good exposures uh, in, in, in a very good publications. So what exactly does Code to Inspire do? I don't think we have talked much about Code to Inspire. So Code to Inspire is an after-school program. Okay. We opened the first coding school for girls in Afghanistan in Herat, the city okay. that I come from, in November 2015. So we only have one location at the moment in Afghanistan. We have 80 female students in our coding school. Wow. Uh, our students are coming from different educational backgrounds. So we have students from high schools that they're from 8th grade to 12th grade. So the mission with uh, them or the goal with them is to kind of like teach them very basic of computer science and coding okay. and uh, encourage them to um, join uh, coding uh, or learn coding even though when they're going to university and kind of decrease the gender gap. Mm -hmm. um, so we, with them, there's a two-year program okay. which we uh, teach them mainly front-end development, website designing. So they finished HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Bootstrap, jQuery, and now they're learning about uh, uh, CMSs, for example, WordPress, oh, wow. how to customize a website. So that's the goal with them. Um, with the computer science students, the goal is a bit different because they already have a, a better coding background. Mm -hmm. So with them, what we do is um, we want to tackle the job employment issues. Because not a lot of the girls have this uh, opportunity to find a job. Unfortunately, either because of security, they can't travel. Mm -hmm. So they're stuck in their hometown. So what we want to do is that with the computer and uh, internet connections, you can do a lot of work online. So we try to outsource projects to them. 
Okay. So we offer different classes. We mainly focus on mobile applications okay. and uh, game development, which is Unity and then virtual reality. Okay. And there's a new class that we are offering is graphics and design, uh, which is a one-year class uh, that we want our students also to learn more about graphics and designs while they develop a mobile app or a game. So, um, so the major goal for CTI is that we find job employment for the girls so that they can work online and they can get paid online without being worried of any safety, security, travel and cultural issues for them. Is how would they get paid online if they got a job through your organization? Yes, uh, so definitely, uh, even though in Afghanistan, I can say like a lot of the like uh, um, uh, business works and tradings are cash based. Okay. Uh, so uh, not a lot of girls also have a bank account unless you are an employee for government mm-hmm. that you have a bank account. Um, not a lot of girls have a bank account. I mean, definitely the girls in high school, they're underage, so they don't have. Yeah. But also like the girls from computer science, they don't see a need to have a bank account because mainly everything is cash-based. So, mm-hmm. And also PayPal is not operating in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about them finding a work online and get paid online, uh, one option is that we help the girls to open a bank account so they can directly get paid by uh, whatever companies that they give a job to them. Mm-hmm. Or we can act as an um, agency for them we okay. receive the money and then we send to our uh, account in Afghanistan and we give them the money. Oh, okay. So that's the easiest part as well that they can handle that for them. Okay. Wow, that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. But we would be more than happy to see the girls have the access to their own account mm-hmm. uh, and feel more like uh, ownership to their money because like, it feels very empowering when you see that like yeah. you receive a money and you own it mm-hmm. uh, but definitely it may take a little bit sometimes but yeah. at the moment we can kind of like use this model yeah i mean i'm from nepal and we don't have banking system as efficient as the united states it takes a long time for you to have a bank account so i think you know what you guys are doing is really awesome that you know you will pay that or have different forms of pay part. Yep, definitely. So I want to ask you some questions um, to get to know you a little bit better. So if you could be anyone in the world for a day, who would you be? I would like to be an astronaut. An astronaut? Yes. And why is that? Because it was my childhood dream to be an astronaut. Okay. But um, unfortunately, I couldn't really continue that. Um um, but uh, yes, I'd love to be an astronaut. Okay. What are the two books you would recommend to our listeners? Well, there are a lot of Farsi books that I <laughs> like a lot. As long as they have English translations. <laughs> um, especially, uh, definitely Rumi. Okay. And there are a lot of English translations. Okay. So I definitely recommend that because uh, it's very inspirational and motivational. And there are a lot of... Uh, wisdom in, in mm-hmm. his things so uh, you definitely find it very inspiring okay. um, so what are some of mi- common misconceptions about you that I'm not really friendly person when you oh. meet me first time um, some people think that I'm not that friendly okay. but then when we spend a little bit some time then <laughs> they notice that it's not like that no, no, no. you're very friendly <laughs> Um, 
And also with um, Code to Inspire, I feel like there was, you know, you have got so much appreciation and people have, you know, loved what you guys do. Were there any criticism? If so, how did you handle it? Yes, uh, we faced a couple of backlashes from the... Um, it's interesting from some of my former students, male oh, wow. students in computer science, that uh, when we're talking about like our girls did this like game or they made this ah, um, they were just like commenting and saying that oh like women, uh, even though they make games, who want to use that or um, they just like have to go home and then they're gonna get married and they're gonna like. Uh, take care of the children so they're not gonna use that so um that was um um kind of like um interesting to see that even though you hear this from the guys who are educated who Mm -hmm. are in the field of technology and they actually think like that about women in the technology Uh, and um well, I always, uh, and so one day our mentors, uh, they became so upset mm-hmm. and they told me that we should, what we should tell uh, these people, uh, we should tell them that, no, you're wrong or uh, it's not like this. And I was just telling them that, um, don't say anything to them, mm-hmm. uh, just ignore them. Because if you want to answer them, then it becomes a game. You answer them, they answer you. Because they're seeking your answer. Yes, and when it's become a game, it's become not healthy competitions. Mm-hmm. And you waste your time to convincing someone mm-hmm. that they had this mindset that at the very first place, you're wrong. So you can't convince them. Mm-hmm. They just like have this mindset. And uh, instead, I said, what sometimes I do uh, when this stuff happens, I take a screenshot of the message or the picture and I put it in my laptop in a folder sometimes I print that I look at them and I just laugh it actually (laughs) motivates me a lot for me they are motivational because it shows I'm doing something right that they're upset so I just told them do that print them show them (laughs) to the girls in our coding school Uh and tell them that you're doing something awesome that these guys are so upset so it makes them more motivated. And they just did that. And they were like, the girls loved it. They were just like smiling, laughing. And they became actually more motivated that, wow. no, we actually will make this happen. And this is not right. So that's what I do. That's inspiration. I would never think I should do that. I'd probably be crying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's just like interesting. You just like look at them. And I just like smile and I'm like, wow, it's very motivational. Thanks for writing that. (laughs) I heard this quote somewhere. It says, haters are going to hate and creators are going to create. So you're just creating while they're hating. They could have been spending that time creating something. Exactly. Because like you shouldn't spend your time over something that you feel you're doing right thing. And you don't need to convince people Mm because your action will be your voice Mm -hmm. you don't need to tell them once they see you that you're doing and there is a result and you're getting successful that's actually the proof so yeah yeah just don't waste your time on that so coach inspire has been going on for almost two years now are there any work that your girls have done or are there any projects that they have completed that you want to share yes our girls did some amazing projects recently because we had uh, our second annual hackathon this month Mm -hmm. every march 
because it's a Women's History Month mm-hmm. and a Women's Day, we organize a hackathon in Afghanistan. So this year, uh, from March 16th to 20th, we had our second annual hackathon. The goal of this hackathon was mainly towards uh, uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals 2030, okay. which is on... Uh, um, there are a lot of different goals that they want to tackle uh, until 2030 and we picked top five that they're aligned with our mission so mm-hmm. for example gender equality education peace mm-hmm. uh, sustainable development so we told our girls if they want to pick any of these girls and create an idea around this uh, for our high school students it would be a web page for the computer science students it would be an app or a game and um, our students actually did some amazing works that we are going to upload their works and the games. So one of the games that a group of our students did, they, um, uh, they made this game with Unity that they call it Fight Opium. So okay. what does that mean is that uh, there's two players. One is uh, the bad people, mm-hmm. which we can say Taliban, <laughs> or people who are planting opium. Mm-hmm. And then the other group is the Afghanistan National Army. So they fight to take the lands that they plant opium and instead they plant saffron, uh-huh. which is an herbal um, plant that uh, you use in a lot of different things. For example, in your tea, in your food, it's very common in Afghanistan and Iran to mm-hmm. use that. So you plant that instead. So that's like a message that they wanted to give to the world, like through this game, Aww. like a peaceful message, but yeah. also like have a meaning and... Um, and I really loved the idea and can't wait to play that game. Yeah. We have screenshots of the game in our social media and um, you can check it out. But um, And there are other a lot of couple of other ideas. Like one group of our students, they made this app for people who want to learn driving. Mm-hmm. So the first step, learn the signs. And then it takes an exam from you to just learn your knowledge, to just test your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's like for the people who want to like have a driving license and learn about the science so um they're definitely making a lot of amazing progress and we're very proud of that and it's only been two years and they're already doing so much so you said you haven't met them yet right no unfortunately i haven't met them yet although i um do Skype with them every uh, I try to kind of like every week pick one class and kind of like talk to them see what are they up to how they feel do they need anything from me Uh, what else we can provide because I just want to give these girls not the technical aspects to Mm -hmm. be a coder but also uh, let them know that they feel comfortable about being there, feel safe, mm-hmm. feel that they're respected for their ideas. They shouldn't be afraid of saying anything they want and, and just like sharing their ideas and we are here to help them. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal that every week I do a call with each class and just like see what are they up to and how do they feel and if there are anything that I can help them more, mm-hmm. definitely would love to just like... Uh, have some updates from their side so you're teaching them more than coding you're teaching them to be comfortable in their own skin and be themselves exactly what's your goal for code to inspire in the next five years so my goal for code to inspire in the next five years is definitely expansion mm-hmm. in afghanistan so um, we have uh, currently we are located in Herat mm-hmm. uh, with one coding school. I would love to open uh, another coding schools in Mazar, Kabul, 
any cities that has the potential to have our coding schools. So that's the plan for uh, expansion in Afghanistan. But besides that, definitely uh, get the girls' job so they can start working and mm-hmm. getting paid and be financially independent. And then encouraging them to be entrepreneur. If they want to start their own business, we will help them so that they can hire other women. So it's kind of like create this network of women that can be independent as a first step. Mm-hmm. Then they teach others and then they help others to get the job. Would you ever want to create code to inspire in other countries like India or Nepal where there are girls who don't have, you know, opportunities at all? So is that something that you were thinking as well? or I would love to. I mean, that's an idea that can be... Um, implemented anywhere that I think they have the same struggles mm-hmm. as the girls in Afghanistan. So definitely Middle East, African countries, the places that women still have issues accessing mm-hmm. and the infrastructure is really not supporting. So uh, I would love to do that. It's just like about the time and finding the right partner mm-hmm. that you feel uh, definitely want to like implement a project. But absolutely, I mean, if there's any opportunity that... We'll see. It definitely uh, worth trying. That why not? Okay. Last question. What is your definition of courage? Courage. Just being a visionary person that is not afraid of being different. Okay. It's not being afraid of being different. No. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Referiste, it was a pleasure having you on my show and I can't wait to see what you're going to accomplish. I really can. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate you having me and uh, I hope that your listeners enjoy our talk and just um, have a good image of Afghanistan. And I hope that I change a little bit about what they're thinking of Afghanistan. Absolutely. And also, if people want to contribute or if they want to you know, um, give back to your organization, where should they find them? So they can, yeah, um, they can check our websites, Mm code2inspire.org. So if they're willing to help us in any way, um, as a volunteer, if they want to contribute, um, as a mentor, if they uh, are uh, interested to help us and support uh, in funding, in any way that they're interested, feel free to email us, express your uh, idea. We would love to uh, explore any way of contributions with uh, any possibilities. So just check our website and um, let me know. Yeah. And I also heard like if you spend $30 a month, you could pay for one girl's education is that it it's 50 dollars. yeah okay wow so guys 50 dollars a month can truly truly make a difference in someone's life so definitely check our website out and Fariste, thank you so much for coming thank you very much for having me of course hey you guys thank you so so much for listening to this podcast i really really appreciate your time and if you enjoyed this episode then make sure to subscribe because every single week i will come up with awesome and epic interviews like this one and do not forget to check out my website limitlessgrid.com for show notes so i will see you next week